God has a sense of humor. Maybe it was Jesus who was calling after all. Maybe God was up in heaven and he elbowed one of his angels and said, hey, watch this. <laughs> well, um, I'm a little bit anxious. I'm a little nervous. Um, I left the house without my watch. <laughs> uh, and that's not a good thing. And uh, I, I share a, a pew or, or a section uh, with Eddie and uh, Patsy uh, Jordan. And I was sharing with him, oh, no, I forgot my watch. I, you know, I may go a little bit long. And Patsy, she's so sweet. She said, oh, that's okay. You know, don't worry about it. You just take as long as you need. I look over at Eddie. He's taking off his watch. And he says, here. <laughs> so I don't know how long we're going to go. But, you know, at least somebody's paying attention to how long it is. And I'll, I'll try to do my best to provide you with some information that is going to be encouraging. And hopefully it's going to be enlightening. As we get closer and closer to concluding uh, our section on the feast that, that we've been studying for a good while now. Uh, as you recall, we didn't start at the beginning. We started kind of midstream. We started with the, uh, the third one, uh, the third feast. Does anybody remember what that is? First, first fruits and followed by that we had uh, uh, Shabbat. Uh, which is known as Pentecost, also called the, the Feast of Weeks, okay, because it was the, the seven weeks and then you skipped that Sabbath day, so that was 50 days, uh, the Pentecost. Uh, and that concluded basically the, the spring feasts, and then we jump into the fall. Does anybody remember the next feast that we talked about? The, the Feast of Trumpets, which there's not a whole lot talked about that except get ready is what it says. You know, the, when the trumpet sounds, it may mean that we're moving. It may mean that we're gathering for worship. It may mean that we're declaring war and, and to prepare for battle. Now, in this case, they blew the trumpet and that really prepared for the next, we call it a feast. Uh, but actually, it was just the opposite. It was a fast. It was the Day of Atonement. And this was an opportunity, a very somber time to remember the sacrifice. And, and there it was, the sacrificial lamb that was taken out into the wilderness. And that was to uh, take away the, the sins of the people. And then we had the very last one. Which one was that? The Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, okay. And this was the big feast. This was the one that people looked forward to. They celebrated. And right in the middle of that is they had this drink offering every day. Uh, to be reminded that we have a God, you know, who, who constantly pours out his love for us. Jesus interrupts on the last day and he stands up as this is going on and he says, Hey, I want you to know, any, if any of you are thirsty, come unto me and I will give you living water. And people are like, who is this guy? He's from Galilee. Can he be the Messiah? No, because the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee. We know that the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem, the town of David. But nobody knew that Jesus, in fact, had come from Bethlehem. But this was a great time of celebration for them. So now you're thinking about this. Well, we skipped the first two feasts, and we're going to go back to this. And we're going to go back to the very beginning, the first Passover, that, uh, the first feast that's celebrated in the spring, and that is the Passover. However, you're not going to get the Passover this morning because I really want it to be the very end because it's special. But I wanted to come back to number two, and we're going to be talking about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
Uh, and for those of you who have found yourself uh, in a kitchen more than once, you may know exactly what yeast is and what it does. I'm not real familiar with that. Most of the stuff that I eat uh, either comes from the wonderful cooking hands of my wife, or if I have to make it, uh, it comes from a box, okay, that says just add water. And so I was kind of curious about what is this, this feast and what does it, it really mean. And so let's go back first and look at Exodus chapter 12. And you're going to say, wait, wait, why aren't we going to Leviticus 23? That's where all the other feasts are talked about. Well, the Passover feast and the Feast of Unleavened Bread both are talked about in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 23. But the Passover And the Feast of Unleavened Bread actually precede Leviticus chapter 23. After they leave uh, Egypt, this is something that they are remembering throughout the time. So uh, we have the Passover feast, and I don't want to take too much away from that, but that's going to be uh, talked about in the earlier verses of Exodus 12. But let's pick up in verse 14 of Exodus chapter 12. It says, This is the day you are to commemorate... For generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold the sacred assembly. And on another one, on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for generations to come. In the first month you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days no yeast is to be found in your houses. And whoever eats anything with yeast must be cut off from your community of Israel, whether he is an alien or native born. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Well, it says it over and over and over again, just in that passage alone. But did you catch how many times they said, don't eat yeast? You must eat unleavened bread, don't eat yeast. In fact, no fewer than six times we find uh, in the Old Testament the command of not eating yeast during this time. Exodus chapter 12, Exodus chapter 13, Exodus chapter 23, Exodus chapter 34, Leviticus chapter 23, Deuteronomy chapter 16. All say over and over and over again, do not eat yeast, only eat unleavened bread. If you eat yeast on one of these days, you are to be cut off from the community of Israel and no longer be a part of it. But listen to this, and we caught a little of this in Exodus chapter 12. Not only did he say, I don't want you to eat yeast, he says, I don't want you to be near yeast. In Exodus chapter 12, he's going to say, I want you to remove it from your house. Now, we're not going to go there, but if you go and read in Exodus chapter 13, he, he goes even further and he says this. He says, I don't want it even among your quarters. 
And then if you go on reading into Deuteronomy chapter 16, after the, the command of not eating yeast, it says, I don't want it in your territory. You see this progression? God is really, really serious. Six different passages. And within those passages, numerous times it says over and over again, don't eat yeast. If you eat yeast, you're removed from Israel. You're to be cut off. Whether you're native born or you're an alien, you can have no part of it. Don't have anything to do with it. What's so bad with yeast? What's so wrong with yeast? Why can't we have some of it? I mean, can we talk honestly for a second? Haven't, has anybody enjoyed a good warm roll lately? Do you know what it's, you know it's like? You get a biscuit. I love biscuits. They're, they got to be wildly unhealthy, and I make them even more unhealthy. You take a biscuit, and, and some people will put butter on the biscuit. Some people will put honey on a biscuit. A good friend of mine, Gil Cherry, showed me how to maximize the honey-to-biscuit ratio. He will take a biscuit, and he will mash his finger into the biscuit and create craters, which will house more honey. So you can pour that in there, and there's nothing like a good biscuit with honey on it. Or maybe one of those good breadsticks from Olive Garden. Oh, aren't those really good? So what's so wrong with having a little bread in your life? And why is it just for one period? I mean, if it's really bad for you, wouldn't he say, don't ever have bread, don't ever have yeast? But instead he says, for these seven days, I want you to have unleavened bread only. Well... There's a correlation, there's an understanding of what yeast does when it is mixed in with the dough, when this this leaven is created. It permeates the dough, contaminating it, fermenting it, souring it, and swelling it. This fermentation causes these gas bubbles to be created, and that's what causes this bread to actually rise. And that's a neat process, but really what God is saying is this. He's saying, in the same way that a little leaven gets into the bread and it grows and expands and it contaminates it, he goes, that is just like what? Sin. He says it only takes a little bit of it. In fact, there have been studies done to find out how long after leaven is introduced into the bread before it begins this process of turning into yeast and causing the bread to rise. You know how long it takes? In as little as 18 minutes when it is introduced in there, that process begins. Just a little bitty bit in just a little time is all it takes for this to happen. If we go over and look in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, chapter 5, it says this, starting in verse 6. Paul says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast uh, so that you may have a new batch without yeast, as you really are. 
For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old yeast, with the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Paul was picking up on this idea that God was trying to hammer home with his people, saying, listen, we are getting you out of the country. But you've got to get the country out of you. You see, God is not just concerned about your position. He's also concerned about your condition. Because at the Passover, it's where we understand that Jesus was the Passover lamb. He is the one who died for us. And because of that, we have a new life. But he doesn't say, well, that's the end of it. I got you out of it. The Feast of Unleavened Bread says, okay, now you need to take part of ridding yourself of that sin that's in your life. You are out of Egypt, but you have got to get the Egypt out of you. When you chose to put on Christ in baptism, Jesus says, I'm taking the sin out of your life. I am removing removing it from you, but you have to actively fight to keep that sin away. There is almost no instance of someone on death row who got there out of an impulse acting completely out of their nature, having had no no inclination of violence and all of a sudden just blowing up. You go back and look and over and over and over again. People who who have been incarcerated for violent crimes, they never start out as that being their first crime. At least not the one that they've been, uh, the one that they have been charged with. Or one what they've been caught doing. That they have previous crimes and previous crimes. You go back and look at someone who's struggling with alcohol. And what do you often find? You find a significant number. It's the number three. Studies have shown that if somebody is struggling with alcohol, in most cases, they are at least the third generation in their family to struggle with alcohol. It's something that was introduced to them at a very early age because it's something that their mother or father struggled with and their mother and father watched their grandmother or watched their mother or father struggle with it as well. It's something so very small. And it creeps in and it permeates and it grows, it infects, It sours, and before you know it, this unleavened bread is now ballooning up from the gases of fermentation. God understood this when He called His people out of Egypt and said, I want you to know that you have to be fervent and make sure that you get rid of it. He says, get it out. Get it out. 
I want to take just a moment and I want to read a, a passage from, from this book. It's, uh, I have several different ones, resources I'd use. This particular one is one I hadn't uh, read from before. Celebrating Jesus and Biblical Feast. It's by Dr. Richard uh, Booker. And he's going to talk about um, what happens prior to uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Because remember, they are told that all, uh, all the um, leaven has to be removed from the house. Get it out of the quarters. I don't want it in the territory. Uh, because this not only was a matter for you, but you didn't want it around anybody else. And so this is kind of where we get the, the idea of spring cleaning. Because when it was time for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you went through the house. You cleaned it. You scoured it. You mopped things. Uh, you... Uh, uh, scalded things with uh, hot water to clean them the best that you could. You put away the utensils that you used throughout the year and you pulled out some special ones that were just used for this. But then they had something that's really, really neat. And I don't know if this is a connection to our Easter, but it just seems uh, quite a coincidence if it's not. Listen to what they did, okay? Many Jewish families participated in this household cleaning and the search for leaven. Okay, so they take out all the leaven. They do the best that they can to get it all out. So, so moms, dads, this is a good opportunity to, you know, tell them that cleanliness is next to godliness. Okay, we're going to clean out the house because we're getting everything out. They literally did this every year. Just before Passover, listen to this. This is interesting. Crumbs of leavened bread are placed in each room of the house by one member of the family. Did you hear that? So they completely clean out. They save a few crumbs. I mean, what's not to love about crumbs, right? So they, they keep a few crumbs and they put them throughout the house. Then the head of the home pronounces the benediction about removing leaven and proceeds to do what? He starts to search for the leaven in the house. A family member goes along carrying a lighted candle to expose where the leaven is hidden. When the searcher discovers the leaven, uh, the leaven, he is careful not to touch it. To avoid contact, he takes a feather and brushes the leaven with a small wooden spoon. He then puts the leaven into a bag. When he is satisfied that he's found all the leaven, he puts the wooden spoon, the feather, the candle into the bag. They take it outside and they burn it. Finally, he says a prayer asking God to forgive the family for any hidden leaven that they may have overlooked. When the leaven is now purged from the household, the family is ready to celebrate Passover and unleavened bread. I mean, to me, this is like a version of, of looking for Easter eggs. They clean out the house, and then they go in, and a family member places these crumbs. And then as a family... They go around and someone has the candle and they're showing them, here's where I put the leaven. And the father will, will get down with the, the little, the, the dustpan, so to speak, and the feather and he'll sweep it up and he'll place it in the bag. Or he'll place that, that leaven into the bag and he'll, he'll take that little piece of wood with him and they'll go around. And as a family, they look through every room making sure they find all the leaven. Because sin... Sin may be a 
Sin may be a personal issue, but let's be honest. It's rarely a private one. Every one of you have been touched or scarred or just flat out devastated by the sin of someone close to you. It happens every day. The collateral damage of sin and how it affects people. It leaves people, it leaves young children as orphans. It breaks up families. It tears apart marriages. It ruins relationships. It sinks lives. You may think that, oh, it's, it's my own personal sin that I carry, but it involves people around you. And God understood this and He said, get it out. I want you to go in as a family. I want you to look for it. And when you find it, you take it out, you get rid of it, and you burn it. Don't let it in the house. We opened the door decades ago as far as language is concerned when we allowed Gone with the Wind to place that little leaven in the house. Years and years before, a good friend of mine told me that his grandmother would not allow a TV into her house because she says that is a portal to the devil. Little did she know that that little leaven that was in there, the way that we treat and discuss and address sexuality in our our community, in our neighborhoods, why in the world we think it's appropriate to talk to four and five-year-olds about that is beyond me, but somewhere we got the idea that this is a really big deal and we need to openly discuss these types of things among little kids. And we start throwing out this little bit of leaven and all of a sudden the fermentation starts. But here's the good news. Even though the dough that that leaven is in has been contaminated, we have a God who says, I will take that away and we will start over again because my son Jesus is the bread of life. And he has not been contaminated. Many times they would look at the the leavened bread and they say they would liken it to one who had been bruised, one who had been striped, one who had been pierced. It's that same unleavened bread that we partake of. We buy it in boxes. It says on the front of the box, matzah bread, which is actually the Hebrew word for without leaven. That that bread is a reminder of who Jesus really is. And when, when Jesus participated in the Passover feast, thousands of years after it was instituted, he would say, this is my body. And he says, I'm changing your position. And he says, but don't forget, you've got to change your condition. And so for the last few seconds, I want to speak very straightforward and just not beat around the bushes. We have leaven in our house. I have leaven in my house. 
I have things in my life that aren't where they need to be. And I have allowed them to be in my life. I have struggles with sin and temptation. And my stance is rarely, get it out. My stance is, ah, I'll just ignore it. Or, it's not really that bad. I don't kill people. You know, I'm a nice guy. It's okay. And God says, get it out. Some of you are struggling with anger and hatred that you have for a family member or an ex-friend or an ex-spouse. And you just seethe with anger. And all you can think about is fueling that fire. And you just got to get it out. Some of you are struggling with sexual sins, with pornography. And what I want to tell you is, get it out. Don't allow it. You have to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. You can't say, oh, just a little won't won't hurt or it's not that bad. Some of you have allowed your focus to turn on something else. Maybe something seemingly healthy. Maybe it's a career or maybe it's sports. Maybe it's TV shows or social media that you really like. Oh, it's really not that bad. And before long, it becomes first. And God says, it's not first. I am. Get it out. If it's consuming you, If turning on Facebook turns into a four-hour ordeal and you're spending more time thumbing through Facebooks and doing likes than you do spending time with God and His Word, get it out. This is not a joking matter. God says, I'm doing everything I can to remove sin from you, but you have to be a part of this. You can't just keep going back. Get rid of it. Get it out of your house. I don't want it in your house. I don't want it in your quarters. Get it out of your lawn. I don't want it in your territory. Because it's destroying you and it's destroying your family. Families are broken. And people are dying. And spiritually, we have people who are malnourished and starving. And we won't get the yeast out. Next week, we're going to go back and we're going to get to talk about the really exciting feast and what Jesus did for us. But let us never forget that Jesus has called us to live a holy life so that he might be glorified. We do offer this invitation every week, and we're kind of in a time period where people don't really like to answer the invitation because it's weird and awkward to confess, and people might find out things. And Maybe what you really need this morning is to come forward and say, I've just got to get rid of this. I need to get it out. And I need your help and I need your prayers. I want you to know, if we have 160 people here, I can promise you we have 160 sinners in this room right now. And if you say I'm a sinner, then everybody deep down inside has to know, well, you know what, I'm one too. Maybe you have a confession that you can do 
with someone else in a more private manner. If you have that, come see myself, go see an elder, talk to someone who you can confide in, who will give you good spiritual direction and say, you know what, I've got to get this out of my life. Don't wait any longer. That yeast is going to continue to sour and ferment that bread. But you can get it out because of the blood of Jesus and what he does for us. And so if there's any way that we can help you this morning, please come as we stand and sing.